Hey, armchair screenwriters. Before we start the show, a quick heads up. This episode takes a brief, serious turn discussing a scene involving sexual assault that may be triggering for some listeners. With that warning given, on with the show. You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Greg, I have a pitch for you. I want to do a sequel to Suicide Squad. I have some notes. Yeah, wait, hang on, hang on. Of course you do. We all do. But here's the thing. So we're only going to keep Margot Robbie. She's, in fact, going to produce it. Uh, every creative role is going to be female-led. Ewan McGregor is going to play the Black Mask, like the coolest, best modern Black <laughs> Okay, so this kind of sounds great. Why is it a good thing for our show? Good question. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the podcast that helps movies assemble their amazing components together like the perfect breakfast sandwich they can absolutely be. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing the film Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, uh, released at the top of 2020. Uh, but more on those movie details later. We are also joined today uh, by uh, my friend, friend of the podcast, uh, uh, member of the sketch comedy troupe, The Debutantes, and one of the performers in the new podcast, uh, Quantum Kickflip. Uh, you've heard her here before. Glenna Showalter is here. Hello, Glenna. Hi. Thanks for having me. Bye. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it turns out all you have to do is uh, tweet at the podcast about lack of <laughs> female representation, and they let you on. Fun <laughs> fact. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, all you got to do is just shame us into it. <laughs> uh, in, to be fair to ourselves, uh, the decision to do Birds of Prey was very uh, spur of the moment. Uh, and it was done without any sort of forethought to the kind of representation our podcast was bringing to the subject. And uh, it was fair of you to bring it up because it, yeah. it gave us the sober second thought we needed. <laughs> but definitely, yeah, it came from uh, sheer enthusiasm to just watch this movie. Greg's like, you want to do Birds of Prey next? We're like, yup, yup, yup. And then it's just on the schedule because uh, this movie, uh, surprise, surprise, slaps. It is great. Uh, yeah, we definitely have notes because that's the podcast, but... Hot damn, this movie was delightful. It was actually the last movie I saw in theaters, believe it or not. Oh, it was a good choice for a last movie to see in theaters. I'm so Mm -hmm. jealous. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think think this one would have benefited from the big silver screen. Uh, Certainly the the big sound would would have been a lot of fun with this movie. Yeah. We were talking about everything, the colors, the spectacle. Yeah, like you were you were saying before the show that like the you know there's some Guy Ritchie vibes with this movie, so like yeah, I there's some Guy Ritchie vibes to the uh, to the script. I actually the, the 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 thing I would almost liken this the most to, um, and it was right at the end the the big climactic uh, uh, fight scene. It this has a lot of the Adam West Batman in it, uh, in terms of like the way they stage the fights, the way it's just sort of like doesn't take itself seriously, but doesn't undermine its own campiness either. That's uh, actually, that's a really astute observation. Well, thank uh, you. 
I and I agree with you. I think that certainly the um, the big fight scene in the funhouse at the end is definitely definitely tips its hat to that '60s Batman campiness uh, in a in a very fun way. In a way that uh, in a way that uh, um, the uh, Joel Schumacher uh, Batman's was trying to and kind of didn't stick the landing on. (laughs) Yeah, I think yeah, I think uh, it's definitely the last action scene. The 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 action sequences uh, towards the beginning were had a lot more of a. I guess a Gaia Ricci vibe or or maybe a more a more modern sensibility about them. Yeah, they felt kind of John Wick in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just I in, in how in how like hard hitting and brutal it was. It was definitely brutal. There was a lot of like dirty fighting, I guess, for lack of a better word. Which makes sense for Harley Quinn. Yeah. Mm-hmm, and absolutely. I like and like the the police scene where she's um shooting bead bag guns at all the all the cops like that's like that scene particularly definitely kind of ape the uh the gun foo kind of stuff that was out of john wick her fun gun (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we've immediately compared this movie to a bunch of other ones but it is quite a um really got a style and uh um definitely style i'd even say voice of its own uh it was uh, directed by kathy yan written by christina hodson uh, starring, of course, uh, Margot Robbie as the titular Harley Quinn, uh, Rosie Perez as Renee Montoya, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as the Huntress, uh, spoilers, sorry, one of the best jokes in the movie, uh, Journey Smollett as uh, Black Canary, Ewan McGregor as Roman Sionis, the Black Mask, and Ella J. Basco as Cassandra Kane. Yeah, solid cast. Very solid cast. Get, like I don't want to focus immediately on the dude, but I'm I'm a big Ewan McGregor fan. I like pretty much everything I've ever seen him in, and was over the moon to see him as Black Mask. Like that was didn't know that was in there. I didn't know much about this movie going into it, and that was like one of my favorite surprises. I, I don't would... know that I've seen him as a black hat villain before. That's a good point, and he yeah. did a delightful job. <laughs> yeah. like uh, he balances Robin over here. <laughs> He balances charm and uh, menace very well in this movie. So that uh, you can see how he's smooth, but you can also like see how he's dangerous. Yeah, he gets uh, he gets downright terrifying at points in the movie. I, I think. Yeah, like I would I would argue, and like this is a stacked cast, and I'm not trying to sell anyone short, but Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor are both standouts in an already amazing cast. They both are. They both carry this movie very well. Agreed. I, my only regret is that they didn't give Mary Elizabeth Weinstead a little bit more to do. Um, Spo- she's one of my spoiler favorite alert. Actresses. That's spoiler alert. That's one of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> As what usual, you, Greg stepping on my notes before I get to them. It wouldn't be the podcast if I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, what else would we know her from? I did. I Scott do not Pilgrim. Really. Uh, yeah, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, uh, Sky High, Ten Cloverfield Lane. She's been in quite a bit. Um, she was also in briefly in a television show called Brain Dead, um, which is a TV series uh, about uh, U.S. politics that um, was just a little too ahead of its time. Like if it had come out in the Trump era, it would have been uh, pitch perfect. It's basically about like brain slugs that that make all the politicians dumb. That sounds sweet, but I was also 
I didn't want to tip my hand, but I'm going to do it anyway. As I'm like, who the hell is she in uh, um, uh, Scott Pilgrim? One of my favorite movies. And I, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll shut up now. Okay. <laughs> she's a... <laughs> Womp womp. Anyway, she's she's a great. I'm going to go rewatch Scott Pilgrim. Uh, a little Correct. of that in here, too. Little uh, little Scott Pilgrim, uh, uh, the, the kinetic uh, typography and, and just sort of color palette. Uh, are we at with, with, with things like that, like with with um, not to just repeat the phrase, but kinetic typography? Uh, is this is this movie when when it's employed here? Is it already cliche, or is this it being like one of the last great utilizations of it? And from here on out, it's gonna be contrived. Do you think? Well, I think the it to the movie's credit that I I, I saw it and I didn't immediately think of Suicide Squad and Barf. So <laughs> they they were do they're they're using it correctly, whereas you know like a Suicide Squad is um, you know it, it came off very trailer like right and, well, and that was sort of the big detriment to it. In in <clears throat> fairness to this movie, that's because with this film it was baked in from the start, and with Suicide Squad it was a change that they added in at the eleventh hour. Yeah. And that's why it's really hackneyed in Suicide Squad, whereas here it it because it was built around it, it functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it, it services like... to it services to tell us all about the the people that uh, Harley Quinn is wronged and stuff like that. And yeah, it's a it, there's a there's a definite point to it. Yeah, throwing something in last minute versus like putting some thought into it. Uh, generally speaking, <laughs> can make it work better. <laughs> and it was it was like a nice garnish on a meal. You know what I mean? Like it was a, a nice little extra piece of exposition, a nice little extra visual flair, uh, and they didn't overuse it. And I think when Great. you're telling the story non-linearly as they are for most of it, like it definitely helps handhold the audience a little bit and uh and and get them on board with uh with some of the things that might be confusing otherwise yeah i'm gonna answer my own question from a moment ago say i I think it at this point is a contrived uh mechanic that this film employs well enough that it it doesn't matter like it's it's got its own genuine cool use of it because i'm thinking uh immediately of um guns akimbo that came out uh, around the same time as this. I, I watched that movie as well, and it has the same sort of like um, video game fight, you know, Street Fighter words coming up over the people who uh, Daniel Radcliffe with guns glued to his hand has to fight. Um, right. And th- this movie, uh, Birds of Prey, uh, is leaps and bounds better than um, Guns Akimbo, uh, and they're they're both very much trying to do the same thing, uh, just crazy Gonzo action, pink you know like a fuchsia overtone um and yeah so if, you, if you're ever gonna if you're if you're doing the ketchup catsup thing of like guns akimbo or harley quinn uh, or uh, birds of prey go go with birds of prey i was just thinking i wonder if the uh, 1960s batman uh was sort of was that the first real instance of sort of like using uh text as you know, like automatopoeia to sort of like describe the action or, or I wonder, like that would be an interesting question for um, you know any of the film buffs listening. Like, what was the first instance of that? Yeah, I mean, oh. all the way back to like you know before they had talking, I guess. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, but the, before the, the frame between before frames, the talkies, but... yeah. <laughs> you gotta yeah, know you... that uh, Robin at Cinematological is gonna have an answer for you. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that now that you point that out, though, I think it is yeah more of an uh, not 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 a literal homage, but just like um, uh, cribbing from that 
visual language of, of yeah, the uh, yeah. Uh, 60s Batman, not so much just, like, trying to do a Scott Pilgrim thing. Yeah, yeah like, I, I can certainly think of, like, a lot of classic trailers from, you know, the 40s and 50s that sort of use text in that kind of way um, to, to sort of delineate action, but I can't think of it as uh, in a something earlier than the bad Batman 60s Batman where it was used as, as kind of a device. Well, uh, and we were talking about Guy Ritchie before who also uses that, right? Yes. Does he? Or am I uh, misremembering? I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm not, I don't want to like correct you. I'm just trying to remember. I'm like, does he? Um, maybe in I like think- rock and Rolla or something like, uh, I don't, I don't think in lock, stock and two smoking barrels, there's like a lot of it, but he, as, as he keeps, sort of aping his own style over the years. Yeah, like, I think there might have been some of it in, like, in, in Rock and Rolla. I think there's certainly a lot of that um, dramatic slow-motion pause while a narrator explains something. That's, like, that's definitely... I don't remember whether there was whether there was a whole lot of text uh, or whether it was done in a comic booky type way. Uh, we're uh, we're getting mighty hung up on some of the <laughs> some of those aesthetics because the so much else about this movie uh, just uh, goes super hard. Uh, let's hear from the trailer and then we'll continue uh, the, our love fest for Birds of Prey. This all started when the Joker and I broke up. It was completely mutual, and soon enough, I was back on my feet, ready to embrace the fierce goddess within. It's oh so quiet. Now that I cut ties with Mr. J, I'm about to learn that a lot of people want me dead. All alone. And at the top of that list is this guy. And so peaceful. But it turns out (laughs) that wasn't the only dame in Gotham looking for emancipation. We can't just rob him. You betrayed him. You killed his BFF. What? You are so cool. You never. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die very unpleasant death, we're gonna have to work together. Sure. Having recently broken up with some clown, Harley Quinn finds herself learning how to become her own person. And what better way to do that than by joining up with a team of super friends, am I right? Harley and her pals Huntress, Black Canary, and Police Cop work together to save a little pickpocket who stole a diamond from Ewan McGregor. Wait, no, I'm telling this all wrong. First, Harley blows up a chemical factory Michael Keaton style. Then, she loses a sandwich. And then, she kidnaps a child from a police station. But before that, Ewan McGregor tells Harley she has to kidnap a kid or he will peel her face off. Everyone following so far? I say I I did I did really enjoy the structure of this movie. It was a lot of fun um, seeing Harley Quinn burst into the police station and just like having no earthly idea at, at first that like why this was happening. But um, the movie had done such a good job of of instilling confidence in in me that like. I didn't have to worry. Like all was going to be explained. Like I, I was, you know, if this was sui- if this was Suicide Squad, suicide I'd be squad, like, yeah. yeah, I would not be confident in that. But like this is, you know, we, I, I knew like uh, that's, you know, we were going to get everything sort of resolved. It was just like, yeah, now I can just like sit back and relax and really enjoy what's going on. So I had a lot of fun with it. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I I agree. the The movie, the movie quickly builds up a lot of goodwill, and yeah. uh, so that when the plot takes a left turn, an unexpected left turn, you're like, okay, let's see where this is going. Instead of just like shutting right down. <laughs> Yeah. And this movie takes several unexpected left turns along the way. The uh, I don't know if it's, would you call the breakfast sandwich the inciting incident, or was it just more of a, like, um, just one extra motivation? Or, no, or... I, I think her blowing up the Ace Chemical Plant is the initial incident. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. Either yeah. way, the sandwich, the sandwich scene, not just because I love a good fried egg sandwich, but, like, that just having her be excited about something small and simple in a big stupid blockbuster superhero movie was was great it really like it, it, it I, I don't know how much i can like gush about the sandwich scene without sounding glib i truly it was like one of my favorite scenes where you you see her want something it gets taken from her and she can only be thrust into more action it, yeah well and from like i'm going to put on my feminist glasses right now mm-hmm. Uh, and say, like, normally women aren't allowed to have a positive relationship with food, right? And yeah. so to give her that desire um, and to give her that uh, thrust as to have a positive relationship with food, I think, is excellent. Mm-hmm. And she eats a lot of terrible food throughout this movie. She uh, really does. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, someone, one of the comments that we'll get to later, um, from our listeners had sort of said that it, that was, it was like fridging the sandwich. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, you know, it's, it's pretty, it, you know, it, it, if, if that was the intent, it was, it's, it's bloody brilliant because, you know, it's, you know, typically this, that's the spot in the movie where the hero would lose their wife, daughter, girlfriend, whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and just like, they just kind of, yeah, just kind of like, nope, it's just, uh, they lose their sandwich. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it was, it was great. Cause yeah, she did. She, it is about that like relationship between her and the Joker and then having it sort of like mirrored in other people's relationships to uh Sionis, uh or or others in the in the script um yes it's it's not a you shouldn't need to lose someone but it, you still need that like yeah motivation revenge sort of yeah basically basically every man is kind of kind of ends up using her right even 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 the dude that she thought was or even her doc big friend right yeah yep yeah, yeah really a, a, they punch okay. a lot of dudes in this movie, and pretty much all those dudes deserve. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of baby bags that get uh, get crushed. <laughs> um, did anybody else notice that uh, when Harley has her cartoon flashback, that uh, the Joker does not look like Jared Leto? <laughs> yeah, he looks like Paul Dini Joker, and she looks like, uh, or not Paul Dini, Bruce Bruce Tim Joker and Bruce Tim uh, Harley Quinn, which I thought was was a probably a better a good call. The less said of Jared Leto's Joker, the better, I think. It might also be a little bit of a, a tip of the hat to the Batman animated series because yeah. that's where she originated. I suppose mm-hmm. that's possible. Yeah, there's no no Joker in this at all, uh, aside from that, and uh, no Batman. Uh, also, where, rarely will you hear me advocating for less Batman, but uh, here it works. <laughs> I was a little concerned off the top that like um, there was so much talk of the Joker. Like, I get it's like her key; it's the key motivation that puts her where she's at, or whatever. But I, I guess, like, I was like, oh, I was like, oh no, this movie's not gonna just like make everything about her and the Joker and her 
uh, you know, her feeling so lonely just because she doesn't have the Joker in her life or whatever. So, but it very quickly got rid of that. And then, like it, the human Gregor's character sort of like becomes the Joker, Joker surrogate uh, and sort of the stand in for her overcoming him. Yeah. And, and serves that role to, to pretty much everyone else as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's <laughs> it's, it's a movie about relationships. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, ultimately the, the relationship between Harley Quinn and Joker is abusive, right? Yeah. Yep. So I really like that they uh, go away from that and that they let her, like, as it says in the in the title, that she gets to be emancipated mm-hmm. uh, into her own independent person, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you can't can't even say that about the uh, Harley Quinn animated series. They still have, have the, the Joker is plenty in it and plenty abusive. And it's kind of like the fir- the second season of that show is much better than the first. Uh, unrelated, but just thinking about that that dynamic of those two characters and how they are, you know, yeah, uh, very much interlinked, but also she she does work better, perhaps without that yeah, dynamic. Uh, it's a bummer. We, <laughs> we've seen that kind of story a lot too, like the 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 woman who can't um, tear herself away from the abusive <laughs> husband yeah. or, or or love interest or whatever, and like you know, some, sometimes you just want to you know watch and see the change you want to see in the world, right? You want to, you want to be able to see like the, 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 the end of that story, the, the more hopeful end of that story, which is essentially what, uh, birds of prey is providing. I badly want birds of prey Two to be birds of prey Two Harley and Ivy. Oh yeah. I have, we'll get at that in the, in the fixes of some of what the sequel to this should look like. Um, (laughs) but what I do think, I just thought of this a moment ago, uh, this movie came out uh, within s- about six months of Joker. Uh, and if you take those movies like side by side, it does seem like a couple who broke up and she's gone off to go thrive and like live her best life and meet new creative potential. And he went and did the most like surly, like, <laughs> like yeah. just got way too into like, you know, bought a, bought a van and like, <laughs> yeah. He went all falling down, <laughs> re- reading the wrong Reddit threads. Just like yeah, the, the the sad loser who got broken up with, and the 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 partner who goes off to thrive. Um, I've watched a lot of DC movies in the last three weeks, and I'm 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 good for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think of the R-rated elements? Um, did they fit? Were they too much? Too little? Just right? I think just I- about right. Yeah, I actually really like them. There's something very funny to me about superheroes swearing. Uh, <laughs> I love I love excessive f bombs uh, in especially in superhero movies because there is this expectation that superheroes are supposed to be this paragon of virtue, right? Uh, but people swear, and that's there are some situations that are fantastical and that are ridiculous, and that would make me say fuck, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I would put this. It, it, yeah, sorry, I would put this. I would put this on par with Deadpool for good execution of uh, the uh, of crude material. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, and sort of um, comically comically violent, mostly. Yep, I would say that um, that is generally pretty pleasing. Like I, I like mo- like the 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 point at which Harley Quinn annihilates a guy's knees, like twice in a row (laughs) like we were just we were just howling watching that it was just it was just delightful and uh and and the way that it was it was shot in slow-mo and uh and just seeing 
the guy's knees bend all the way back the wrong way. I've hyperextended my knee before. I know exactly how painful that is. <laughs> like so, so yeah. Like it, it's a, it's a definitely. It was it was funny and gross and uh, yeah, exciting all at the same time. So I really appreciate that. Uh, it is a genuine. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I I will say that um, there was I was having a lot of fun right with with all of it like the, the okay well hang on and, let me let me see i just want to comment right, before you change change topics i want to comment on the on the r-rating thing uh just that that it is a very funny movie um it's i took all the luster out of it now but like we're comparing it to deadpool it i actually think it's funnier than deadpool simply by way of there are no cringy jokes in this there's no jokes that either like make me roll my eyes there's no cheesy jokes all of the laughs are like genuine and deadpool funny as it is has a lot of like kind of hacky lines like yeah yeah well the, and part of the difference there is that this movie is very rooted in its own reality and deadpool is quite meta with its humor mm-hmm. and in a way that this movie just is not yeah nor could it be really i mean <laughs> yeah there, i mean some, some, some of deadpool feel oh, oh, sorry, go ahead glenn that's all right. I'm saying there's some subtle meta moments uh, in Birds of Prey, which I really appreciated. Uh, lots of like Harley spiking the camera, mostly. Um, sort of a like yeah. you getting this kind of a kind of a look. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But it, it's yeah. not quite so overt. It's not like absolutely. Yeah, it's not quite yeah. the same way that Deadpool is. Yeah, I think Deadpool, Deadpool is aware Deadpool he's sort of like Ryan in a way Reynolds that Harley doing. Isn't. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Scott. I was <laughs> Ryan. Ren- I, like I feel like Deadpool is sort of like uh, Ryan Reynolds ad-libbing a bit too much here in places that's what it feels like to me maybe yeah maybe my, my, my maybe problem not. with deadpool was more cringy like like a lot of lines that are well, that's what i think hacky. that's where i think the cringe came from it's just like he's, oh, okay. you know you know they're just letting him riff and it doesn't all work but uh, like i do have a i do have a criticism of the movie mm-hmm. um and it, it and it's probably the only one um because i did enjoy a lot of the 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 dark humor and the and um the brutality of it, especially in the action scenes where I stopped having fun was the scene in which, uh, Ewan McGregor, he gets really upset that they've lost, um, the diamond. And then he takes his abuse out on a, on a random woman, um, forces her to get up on top of a table and start dancing for him. And, and like, it's it's actually uh, I'm not criticizing the scene because the scene itself is actually really effective, um, almost too much so. Like it's it's genuinely terrifying, and the woman who plays the um, the person dancing it, it like plays it really well, and she, you can really you can really feel her her terror. And then it goes one step further, and he tells his henchmen to start cutting her clothes off, and like just like that extra bit for me just like it was it just got so dark so hard that like for the rest of the movie it just wasn't as fun for me anymore hmm. valid yeah fair i've been i've 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 been in an improv show once where where uh yeah someone just made a it was a going great and just someone made a joke that like best of intention like not not that this is a weird way to describe this particular scene but like even though it was made sense in the moment was just too dark for anyone to continue in fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's bad. I also was a little thrown by that one too. Um, especially cause he just kind of drops it like nothing. 
Like, he just, he turns around, talks to Black Canary, and that's the end of the scene. Like, her her trying to walk away is what ends that scene. And there's not really any resolution other <laughs> yeah. than this weird, this weird tantrum. Yeah, I think, like, I think what my, my, why it annoyed me a little bit is that um, it was already clear enough that he was a huge piece of shit. Like, I mean, like, it didn't, we didn't have to see him sexually assault her. You know, like he, we, we had already seen the guy like cut fucking people's faces off and rip them off. Yeah, like, I, kn- I knew just what a piece of shit he was, and like, I don't know, like even even if he was stopped before, you know, his hen- henchmen started cutting their clothes off or something, like it would have been nicer. But like the fact that like it like it kept lingering in that moment really bothered me. Uh, it was supposed to. I, I, I. Don't disagree with that, and I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's an argument to, for it to be made to be to be kept in, um, but like yeah, like it, it's just for just for me, just because like the tone of the movie was such a romp right up until then, um, and, and then it just kind of felt like um, you get hit by a bus, and then yeah. I couldn't I didn't I didn't recover after that. Like I still uh, had think- I still had a deep I still had a good time for the most part with the rest of the movie, but not quite like I was having before that. Do you think if he instead had been like made her dance, that's scary, then got up real close with a knife and was like either threatened or did to cut her face off in front of everyone, like, because it's I, I wonder even if that was maybe like in the script originally in the notes are like you can't just go cutting people's faces off in the nightclub and they're like ah or her her dress then I guess I don't know, um, well but but yeah like what if what if she we had tried to cut her face off in front of everyone would that have maybe kept the the I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Glenna? Well, I, I haven't... It's interesting, because it, that scene didn't throw me the same way that it seemed to throw all of you. Um, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> Psychologically, there's some weird stuff there. Um, but it it definitely... Cutting someone's dress off is like a weird analogy for cutting someone's face off, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like what yeah. you show to the world, what is keeping you safe, is is being removed forcibly. Um, I don't know if I have a point. No, I see. I see where you're going with that. Um, and that's what makes me think maybe that was like, maybe not a studio note, but like the writer was like, does he cut off a face? Maybe it's a dress. He does call the dress ugly. You know, like he is removing this this exterior from her. Um, I, I think that that's 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 probably insightful, uh, Glenna, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's fair to say that, like, maybe I mean, I for me personally, like, um, no, I just <laughs> I want to collect my thoughts here and just make sure that this like this comes out okay. Like the, uh, you know, there's um there's an uncomfortableness that I always feel in those types of s- scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, and, 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 it's, you know, and especially, you know, in the, in the world we live in now, like I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, sensitive to it. And, and it's not that, you know, it, it's not to be done. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, it's going to mean different things to different people. And, uh, you know, it, I guess there's an argument to be made, like, what does it, do, does it necessarily belong in, in sort of like an action romp? Uh, you know superhero film i mean m- maybe maybe not um um 
I don't know, like it's it's not really to me that it wasn't really uh, commented on all that much, and maybe and it wasn't consistent uh, with his character. Pardon? Like it wasn't really consistent with his character. Like he had been he had been shown up to that point to fly off the handle to 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 be weird and make weird choices. Um, it obviously a murderer and a violent person who likes cutting things, but even like his relationship with Black Canary was like manipulative like emotionally manipulative but like he, i never like and maybe maybe i missed it or I'm, I'm i'm forgetting but like he never assaults black canary right like he hires her to be a driver and, and emotionally manipulates her but like he has no track record of like that kind of abuse he's just a weird face cutty guy uh and so to have him do to go halfway with sexual assault in the middle of a scene that was already working with dance. I just, if it wasn't consistent with his character, there's also, I mean, I will say that the movie hints that he and Victor Zass are more than just friends mm-hmm. up until that point. So there's, there's that as well. Uh, it doesn't, it, it's not explicit, but there's definitely a couple hints there that maybe he's not that into women as it were. Um, well, sexual assault isn't about sex, it's about power. No, and that's yeah. that's the other point. However, I will say it's interesting to me, and I, I have not said anything up until this point because uh, I, I did not find that a particularly disturbing part of the movie, much like Glenna. I, I, thought, I did think it was consistent with his character. Um, it's interesting to me that we're arguing the semantics, though, between would we have been okay if he had committed violence on her as opposed to sexual violence on her? Mm-hmm. That intrigues me. Uh, why is it okay for him to have tried to cut off her face, but it's less okay that he tried to cut off her clothes? Well, I don't know. I was making a. I don't know that I was quantifying it. Like one is more okay than the other. I ask, how how would we feel if oh, he no, cut I'm, her face off instead? Th- and that's I'm I'm agreeing with you on that. I'm not I'm not suggesting that you were that you would have been okay if he had cut off yeah. her face. I'm just asking why, like why would why would that hypothetically have been less shocking though? Because he'd than, done it once already. Fair, but it's still violence at an innocent woman. Yeah, yeah. I, I see. I see what you're saying, Scott. I, I think that's. I think that's totally fair. I, I think for me personally, like it adds that, um, like any any sort of sexual assault scene in any in any movie adds that extra level of darkness to it. Um, so just for just for me personally, like that's you know it, it was it was difficult to. Um, recover from that and like and that's and like that's just my sort of uncomfortable with uncomfortableness with it and and it might be just like you know like i'm i'm a dude and i have trouble dealing with the fact that like men do that to women you know and like that's and that you know it it, it's it maybe it's meant to uh make me feel uncomfortable and it's doing exactly what it meant to do meant to do and and i can certainly um acknowledge that as well i i actually sorry glenna please uh, something that I'd like to point out, out about this scene that's very interesting to me. Normally, when sexual assault scenes happen in movies, the camera is always focusing on the woman being victimized. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this particular scene was more about the man perpetrating the act. Oh, for sure. Right. Uh, there is no female gaze. Or Sorry, I'm going to rephrase that because I, I said it wrong. Um there is no male gaze in this scene and it is very focused on the men who are abusing the woman and not the woman being abused. And that I think if anything adds to how impactful the scene is. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why it didn't make me as uncomfortable as other scenes depicting sexual assault in cinema have. Yeah. That's actually, that's really good insight. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's, not no, something that I, that I, that I considered. So yeah. Uh, thank you for pointing that out, Glenn. And like, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good point. I, I would say like at the, at, at the end, like they do actually cut the clothes off and you, like you see, some of her bra or whatever. I think, like at that point, I'm just like, you know, <laughs> like splitting hairs. Yeah, yeah. Well, and no, but but she's correct that like the 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 scene is really laser focused on you, McGregor, uh, yeah. during almost yeah. all of that. And like, um, you know, like you you feel you feel her terror as well. Um, and and it's a and it's a very very scary scene. But like, um, you know, uh, clearly, like it is it is. Uh, shot very clearly to, from his perspective, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right from beginning think, to end. I think it wasn't. It's not so much that the, it just doesn't resolve. I think is what what my because I'm trying to be like, what was it? But that that stuck out for me too. And I and it in the in the macro, I think it's just that it doesn't have a resolution. It just sort of happens and then is never commented on again. But Which I think is, it is. You know, it is. It is a comment itself on the the movie at large. You, you compare that to the relationship Renee to the the chief who uh, stole her thunder, uh, Harley and the Joker. Yeah, I think. I think parsing it now. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, and I hate to say it, but that's how so many sexual assaults happen. Is is that it happens and there's no resolution to it. Yeah, there's no good guy that comes along or or anything like that. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> well, Sorry to bring the mood down. Yeah, gonna, no, 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 no. I'm actually. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reframe this a little bit too, um, because part of the scene is not just about you and McGregor. It's also about Black Canary because she's there and she's got to witness this. And earlier in the movie, she did stop a sexual assault. She saves Harley from a guy who's going to take advantage of her because she is drunk out of her gourd, and she kicks that guy's butt. And that's what gets Black Mask to hire her. And then now she's confronted with a similar situation, but she's powerless to do anything about it. And it's really, it, it's, it really sucks. Like it, you feel bad for her in that moment because earlier in the movie, she was able to do something and now she's in a position where she can't and you can see that it's affecting her. And that's why she goes to leave and why she gets stopped from leaving because it's part of the power play that, uh, that Sedonis is making here is he's, he's, he's doing something terrible in front of people because he knows he can get away with it and i mean ultimately he pays for it in the end because he gets explode but it <laughs> yeah it, it, in a way it might have uh but might have been better it's almost like um black canary um didn't get to complete the arc that she deserved to complete because they like the, like mm-hmm. the relation her relationship with you mcgregor is more powerful throughout the the film than i would say the one between him and and harley quinn i would disagree i think that she gets cheated out of taking out zass who i think is more her nemesis in the movie um, no, zass is very much uh huntress's nemesis well no but we find uh, I out i i disagree we find out that zass is on her hit list after she kills him uh, whereas Black Canary is being like deliberately undermined by him, and he's setting himself up to fight her, and then like gets killed by Huntress, and then we find out oh because he was one of the people who killed her family. Um, 
I think I think it might have been a better resolution for Black Canary to have killed that guy. Mm, I'm gonna go with Greg on this one. <laughs> uh, I can I can see where Scott's coming from, like because they, they do they do spend a lot of time. You know, it's it's very well established that um, that Zaz doesn't like Black Canary, and he feels like she's um, horning in on his attention from you uh, McGregor. Oh, for um, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so they, that, that definitely, that definitely tracks. Um, it just like, I just got the relationship between her and Ian McGregor more, I think yeah. is the trouble. And Fair enough. Uh, yeah. And then like, and you know, Harley Quinn doesn't get a good scene, um, with, uh, Ian McGregor where she, where he, you know, she has that kind of like a crazy dream sequence where, you know, it's, she's basically feeling all the things that she got from Joker in a very short period of time. That's how I interpreted that scene anyway. Um, you know, it, it, so that sets up her motivation for uh, defeating Black Mask in the long run. Um, so the, it's not that it's ho- just wholly empty that she gets to blow him apart with a grenade or, or the little kid does anyway. Um, but I don't know. It just like I, it, it seems like it, it would have been I, I would have liked to have seen a version of that where Black Canary gets to gets to finish that arc. Well, that sounds like uh, it's uh, time to go into our notes then. Uh, We'll be back uh, after this. Today, I want to tell you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Up. Join Todd Hirsch, ATB's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunities it creates. From the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself, the future of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get to the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month plus bonus episodes, the future of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to the future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. Park Power allows Albertans to shop local for their electricity and natural gas. You can save money, it's easy to switch, and 10% of the profits go to local charities. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Welcome back, everyone, to I Have Some Notes. We are joined by guest Glenna Showalter. We're talking Birds of Prey, Brackets, and the fantastic... Uh, no, hang on, let's get something, it here. Something or other... Uh, Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Fantabulous. Uh, oh, it is fantabulous. <laughs> I can, I, I'm going to start with this. I, I, I know the name, like it, it came out as like Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey in the theaters and then it got changed to this. Um, I don't know what the name should be, but I kind of don't love this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's, it's clearly a Harley Quinn fine. movie. Like it feels like she should get first billing. Honestly, it feels like more of a Harley Quinn movie than a Birds of Prey movie. It it should have maybe been called Harley Quinn colon Birds and of Prey. Bird. Yeah. Well, I think that's what it was. The ty- Like, in theaters, that's what it was. It got, like, name-changed multiple times throughout, like, even post-release. I don't know anything about comics, so is, like, is, is Harley Quinn a regular member of the Birds of Prey? No. Uh, she, oh, sorry, go ahead. She's go around. <laughs> I was going to say, I believe she is a uh, antagonist of the Birds of Prey. Oh. Oh, this one flips the script. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, is, that, is that why she does not, uh, at the end, join them? Is like, 
is that a tease for like, oh, they're going to be enemies someday? Probably. Or just the fact that she's mostly a villain and they are mostly good characters, like g- good uh, guy characters. Villain is a strong word. Harley is kind yeah. of morphed into more of an anti-hero. Uh, in the comics, she's the one who calls and, them and do-gooders in at the end. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's clearly a, she's a, been a protagonist in every movie she's been in anyway. Yeah. At this at this point, so I don't know if like as someone who doesn't know much about comics, I was I was really just expecting them to be like a foursome towards the end, given that the name of the movie is Birds of Prey, and I and I assumed that like they were gonna be sort of sequel baiting it a little bit, but maybe not. Uh. They yeah, did in, not in, do that, no. Yeah, in the comics, I believe the Birds of Prey are uh, uh, Huntress, Black Canary, Batwoman, um, briefly Poison Ivy, I think. Um, oh, or really? Batgirl. Actually, I actually don't think it's Bat- uh, Batgirl. I think it's Batwoman, specifically because Batwoman ends, ends up dating Renee Montoya um, through the comics. And, uh, so. Yeah, Renee is the question at some point, and I'm pretty yes, sure Oracle is, is in there. The question at some point, and that's kind of my only note, is is at some point at the end of this, as fan service, because you've already got a character who's got a bunch of masks on lockdown, like a guy who's got masks kicking around, Renee Montoya should have put on a face that makes it look like she has no face uh, for sequel bait, and make her the question, and not like police cop lady. But that's that's just pedantic nerd stuff. I just love the I love the question, the the male question. I love the uh, um, Renee Montoya question. I have the comics where he gives the mantle to Renee Montoya, uh, and then she starts dating Batwoman. Uh, it's called the New Fifty Two, and it's or not the no, it's the original Fifty Two. Fuck the New Fifty Two. It's the old Fifty Two, and it's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the the Birds of Prey, the Black Canary and Huntress are the only ones that really make the the move from the comics. Um, but I, uh, any, no, no nerd hate here. Like, cause I have to save all that breath for the Marvel's defenders, not being the defenders. Um, all of my angst will go towards that, that cause. Was Cassandra Kane not involved in Birds of Prey though? Probably yes. at some point. Cause she becomes Batwoman at some point. Or yes. Bat Cassandra Kane becomes Batwoman. And then why? Yeah. She, I think. Yeah. She definitely becomes a bat something at some point. <laughs> I don't. I don't recall if she picks up the Batgirl mantle. If she becomes uh, an alternate Batwoman, she is definitely a Bat something at some point, though. It's actually. I'll be honest. Throughout that movie, I'm like, I know Cassandra Kane is a Batman something, and I couldn't place it. And then now we're talking. Cassandra Kane is Batwoman. Um. Uh. So uh, that's a, that's an interesting that they gave uh, this this young woman uh, that that name in the movie because it's essentially setting up that, yeah, she's going to become Batwoman or or not. They just wanted to reuse the name. I'm not sure. But I, I forgot because Andrew Kane is Batwoman until now. I spent the my entire first rewatch uh, mixing up the name Cassandra Kane with Carrie Kelly. <laughs> and I was very confused uh, for, a, for a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> for for but that the is uninitiated. <laughs> Carrie Kelly is a female Robin. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. She's and she's like a redhead with big glasses, and she's a big tech nerd, and you could see where my confusion would come in. Yep, no, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, Cassandra Kane's got the, like the right. There, I mean, they're setting her up perfectly for for uh, um, a meeting with Batman, and then a sort of like a. <laughs> a uh, I don't know if that's what happens in the comic book, so don't at me. But you know, like a sort of like that sort of redemption thing where he takes in a, a, a pickpocketer, criminal type person, and makes them a superhero. 
Well, that's that would be the Batgirl treatment. I think Batwoman like goes off and does it herself. Like she just sort of takes the brand, like a you know, just, <laughs> just runs with it. Just starts doing her own. Like like you know, I'm Banksy. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Batman's only a symbol, so like, yeah. why not? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to see Batman try and fight that copyright in court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: He has very good lawyers. Um, <laughs> Uh, because he has the financial backing of Bruce Wayne. Anyway, uh, I want to see more Huntress in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she is in the first part of the movie, kind of. Like, she does stuff. And, uh, like, one of her murders is kind of the initial incident for Renee Montoya. But she doesn't really, like, come into focus until the third act. And that's kind of a shame. And it's not just because I have a probably inappropriate crush on mary elizabeth winstead um i think we needed to see more of her murders through the first part of the movie and i think that would have been more interesting rather than having them recapped to us as we go into the third act or seeing them after the fact i think through the first two acts of the movie we should see her repeatedly catch up to someone and murder them and there's still being a lingering question of what exactly is she doing up until we get the reveal of who she is into the third act and that would have kept her a little more in focus going into that point. And it would have been interesting to see her kind of at cross purposes with people up until that point a little bit. Because obviously, police cop is is upset that she's crossbow murdering people. And Harley Quinn could, be, could continue to run into her and be like, who is this person? And why is she continuing to, uh, like, is she trying to kill me? Is she saving my life? I don't understand what's happening. And... It's because, like, she keeps catching up to someone who's trying to kill Harley, and then she kills that person, but there's no explanation at that point. I think that would have been more interesting. It would have kept her kind of in the story uh, more fully, leading up to, like, them teaming up in the third act. That's yeah. that's one of my big notes for this movie. I was a little hazy when she showed up at the at the restaurant that Harley lived above, like... Um, maybe I looked away for a couple seconds. What was she... What was her purpose in, in being there? I didn't quite pick up on that. There's, I, I want to say that there's kind of the T. The movie is fainting that she's looking for Harley, but she's not. And yeah. that's kind of what that scene is about. I think she's looking for Zaz. She, I think she was explicitly looking for Zaz, actually, yeah. She mentioned something about looking for, uh, like, that, uh, is it Doc or Don? I forget. Don? Is that his name? Was it Doc? I think it's it was Doc. Doc, yeah. Uh, how he knows every criminal scum in the area or something. And, and so I think that's the hint that she's looking for Zaz. Yeah. The, the movie, like it's, it's meant to be a little ambiguous. And I think it's because the movie is trying to faint that may, Oh, maybe she's finally after Harley, but no, she's not. (laughs) Yeah. I I think what muddied it a bit for me is that she, they're trying to, I think they're trying to play that like um, Huntress was responsible for like the explosion in Harley's apartment. And then, there's that subsequent um, revelation of Doc selling her out, um, but that would mean he was like short. He was visited like very shortly after by another criminal element who who uh, who paid him off or something like that. I don't know. I just like I don't, it. Uh, that scene didn't quite work for me. It could have been a little bit clearer. Uh, a little clunky getting there, but I did like how they all the like the the when they all meet in the funhouse and realize they are no longer at cross purposes. And are at one unified. And she literally calls out what each one of their grievances with Sionis. I'm like, 
I, I I like that she 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 point point explains it out in in no uncertain detail why they all have uh, beef with this guy. Yeah. Um, but on the way to it, yeah, there's some some clunky motivations. Um, uh, sometimes not maybe helped by the the out of time storytelling, but uh, for the most part, I think it it, it tracks. But that's fair. Yeah the 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 team up part of it, I think, was like the um, the element that um, maybe worked the least for me. Um, oh really? Just because just because it happens a little, it just happened a little too quickly. For me, like um, I, I can see your perspective, like you know, is that she Harley's the one to sort of like the, it, it, you know, plays into the, all the grievances that she had, and then she's uh, dispelling them to everyone. That's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. It just, uh, yeah, a little too quickly. It felt a little hacky, and and there was um, some bits of like um, just some kind of um, quick hammy dialogue to get them all into the right positions. It just, it just felt like ah, we got to get them where we need them to go. So they got to say this, this and that. Um, but it was, you know, beyond that, it was fine. It just, yeah, that one scene didn't work as well for me. What I liked about the team up was that it was character motivated. Um, yeah. and it wasn't just an arbitrary, like, look at all these ladies. We're going to have them fight together. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> Marvel. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it was because they each had individual beefs with uh, Sionis, and that was uh, at least a, at least they paid lip service to it, you know. Oh, I think they, it's it's all of those. Each one of their motivations to fight Sionis is more motivation than anyone in the Justice League has to join the Justice League. Correct. Like <laughs> the Justice League is just like we're starting a team, and it seems less that they're starting a team because. Uh, uh, Steppenwolf is here and more is because Marvel beat them to it by a decade. <laughs> Whereas this every every moment of not every moment but m- pretty much every moment of this is is earned. My Glenn, single note. Notes? Uh, I have one note. Yeah, and that's uh, that Doc calls Harley Lotus Flower. Mm. It it just feels a little bit Orientalist. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that—that that was it. That was just like ah, that doesn't quite sit right with me. But it was also well, like, it, why? Why shouldn't he have a sweet nickname for her? Uh, but it also could have been literally anything. He also sells her out pretty quick for such a, a guy who's got such a familiar sweet nickname. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, either he calls everyone Lotus Flower, or that's like a pretty disingenuous. Yeah, uh, that's one of those things. That's one of those go. things where it had it had it occurred in a vacuum, fine, right? But like in the context of like how often, um, you know, Asian characters just get you know stereotypically asian things attached to them yeah it just doesn't read right and i felt the same way too when that when he said that and i was like really does it have to be that one of the one of the notes i had here uh again for uh renee montoya's character though uh, like my less serious note is she should be the question as soon as she can be please for me um but the, the, the sort of more earnest note um they uh try they they suggest or, or try to establish uh that she's an alcoholic uh, and as well has uh, an ex-lover um, in the DA's office. Uh, and since this is such a movie about relationships and sort of being defined by people being defined by like toxic, abusive relationships, or maybe not even that literal, just like relationships where uh, the other person uh, is a source of fear for everyone else. Um, basically, I think for Renee's character, they should have 
either focused more on her relationship with her ex or more on her relationship with alcohol. Uh, one or the other and cut the other. I kind of don't care which. Yeah. I'd lean maybe towards alcohol because it's a, it's a little like, it's a, it's a, not a personal relationship, but it's still a very demonic, destructive one. Like Sionis, like the Joker, you can put alcohol right next to those two guys and it, it, it tracks. Yeah, that's uh, a good so point. I, they, they all don't have to be res- relationships with people. Yeah. And- so as much as it's nice to, to have a, a, an LGBT character, um, the, the the mention of her ex and the inclusion of essentially casting someone as her ex and giving that character screen time is mostly superfluous as is any mention of her drinking neither How? of them really come to fruition um, well, i'm going to focus actually, on one or the other i'm going to i'm going to disagree with you only slightly um i i as don't a plot disagree thing, i think yeah. well it's and i don't think that it's not a bad suggestion that they focus on one of those two relationships but i'm going to say it's interesting that she has the ex at the da's office and it's interesting that the movie is is very much about kind of toxic relationships because the da's assistant is not the toxic part of the relationship Mm -hmm. um renee is and that Mm. kind of flips the script on how the toxic relationships are in relation to black canary and harley and uh huntress is that like Renee is the toxic part of her relationship and she needs to kind of uh, come to grips with that and overcome that. She's not overcoming the toxic part of her relationship. She's overcoming the fact that she's the toxic one. Yeah. Because she's, she's the one who, who keeps trying to take advantage of her relationship to the woman in the DA's office. Right. Yeah. Then, yeah, I would like to see more focus on that and cut the alcohol bit then. Cause I think you, yeah, it's a valid point. Um, yeah, I don't disagree that they should have maybe focused on one of them. And I'm not saying that uh, Greg's point of it being the non-personal destructive relationship with alcohol would have been interesting. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm pointing out that there's, it seems to me there's a purpose for the DA's assistant to be in the movie. And maybe it's just that the movie doesn't go far enough with it. Yeah. Uh, anyone you can else? Tell me, you can tell me I'm wrong if, if no, I'm no, I, I, I completely out of, out of line. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's uh, I think it, 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 you're making the case for one, uh, uh, and I think there's a case to be made for the other. My note is just p- pick one and do more of it and cut the other. So yeah. Fair enough. Um. All right, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one to do it. <laughs> I'm going to address the bat in the room <laughs> and everyone and everyone hold on. Cause I'm not, I'm not advocating for Batman to be in this movie. Cause he should not and does not need to be in this movie uh, any more than the Joker needs to be in this movie. Uh, however, his absence is conspicuous because we're dealing with Gotham city and we're dealing with at least three members of his rogues gallery and they are involved in a crime spree and Batman is nowhere to be seen. And while he does not serve a purpose in the plot, I'll grant that the fact that his absence does not go remarked upon actually sat with me a bit. (laughs) And, and where's Batman? (laughs) Basically. Yes. Where's Poochie? (laughs) Batman is at, but Batman is absolutely the Poochie of the DC universe. He needs to be in everything. And if he's not there, everyone needs to be talking. And, but here's the thing. I think it could have worked. I think, I think you could have added just a little bit that would have addressed Batman's absence and given a little bit of character grow, uh, a little bit of a character moment for Renee Montoya specifically. Cause I think at the beginning of the movie, when Renee and the cops are investigating that first Huntress murder, you have someone mention that every time Batman is out of town, 
there's a crime spree every single time. And that's what's going on right now. And the cops hate it because it means they have to do actual work because Batman's not there to do their work for them. And then have Renee like flip that on them and be like, you jerks, you're cops. Like, this is our job. We're not here. We don't need to rely on Batman to solve our problems. And you guys are a bunch of loafers who don't seem to get that. And they can just be like, oh, Renee is drinking again, whatever. And it it gives a, a character moment for Renee that shows she's serious about like solving crimes. That she's she, in specific, is not waiting for Batman to come around and solve her problems. And it establishes that Batman's not in town. And that's why there are criminals going nuts because Batman's out of town. Does he have like an out of office reply or does no, I'm, that I, signal? But, it, but I tr- it tracks for me because yeah. as much as Batman watches the I, criminal I, element in Gotham, yeah. the criminal element in Gotham has to be watching Batman back. And the second that it seems like he's let his guard down, they're going to go crazy. I see and what you're so, saying. I was, I was being a little glib with the like, yeah. how does everyone know he's out of town? Like, he I know, I get it. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, I, you're somehow established that Batman's uh, out of commission. Um, yeah, but yeah. It, it, it's just, it's a tiny little thing that makes it so that I don't <laughs> question for the rest of the movie why Batman hasn't shown up. And uh, and <laughs> also, it, it gives someone a character beat. Here's, here's my proposal for how he gets... <laughs> locked out of the movie so like when uh harley blows up the acme factory or whatever it is the the chemical factory we have we have a we we cut to batman uh, in the batmobile you know just eating a sandwich or something like that just taking a break from crime fighting and he just like looks in his rear (laughs) mirror of his batmobile and sees an explosion heading straight for him and he's like oh shit and boom (laughs) And then he's injured for the rest of the movie. And then Batman is dead, and that's why he's not there anymore. No, I don't... But that that undermines the the point as well by putting Batman in the movie. I do not want him in the film. I I would definitely not do that. I I just think that his absence should be commented on, and it should be an offhand comment that adds a little bit of character building and a little bit of world building off the top, and it solves the problem of where is Batman? <laughs> like, like he's I the, the the Batman's not in town because I heard he was in Metropolis fighting with that alien guy. Yeah, he's uh, fighting Superman over in Metropolis across yeah. the bay. So I, we can all go to some dawn. crimes. We've been doing it since dawn. <laughs> I, I'll, sl- I'll I'll slightly disagree that I I don't I don't feel that that's necessary. I often I often find that like when you when you bring it up. Um, it's yeah. it's sort of like the che- Chekhov's gun thing, right? Like you, you're bringing yeah. you're you're bringing it up for for a particular reason, but then, but but it's only to 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 service um, fandom in a in a in a in a strange sense, yeah. right? So like it, it, like once I think when you when you mention Batman, that's when you get to thinking about him, and oh, they you, do you mention the Batman, and that may yeah. be why. And maybe they shouldn't have done that, right, Scott? Like that maybe that's fair. why you were thinking of them because they do actually bring them up by name at one point, and that and that might have put the kernel of it there. And yeah. I'm I'm just saying, like, if you're going to do it, why not at least just explain why he's not around to show well, up? In well, maybe though, if you exp- if you say early in the movie, explain why Batman is in here, um, then it it begs the question of like, well, when is he going to show up as Deus Ex Machina? And that's fair. That yeah. is uh, that is a fair counterpoint. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's the I'm, thing that I, people I, I, talk I, about I, the Marvel movies all the time with, like when there's a single solitary movie and it's like, where are all the Avengers? And the answer is, who cares? Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, they're, they're yeah, not there. They're doing something. Yeah. Just can't you, can't you <laughs> in your mind's eye just imagine that they've got some other threat to deal with and like Thor is on his own or Spider-Man is on mm-hmm. his own or whatever? And like, just, it's just, it's not necessary to like, to worry about it, <laughs> I don't think. And with all due respect to Harley Quinn and Black Mask and Victor Zass, um, them fighting it out in the underworld of Gotham is not as explosive as whatever Mr. Freeze is probably up to today. Sure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Batman's attention might be focused elsewhere. I'll grant that. Um, it, it maybe, and you're right. Maybe it's because they mentioned him off the top that it kind of made me wonder, like, why why wouldn't Batman show up to try to stop this? And that's that was maybe the mistake they made. Maybe that's the note. Don't mention Batman at all. Don't put voice to the boogeyman or he'll show up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Criminals are a superstitious lot. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe part of the problem as well is that I'm looking at it as part of a larger franchise too, right? Because while it is very much meant sort of standalone-ish, it is kind of sort of Suicide Squad, which means it's also kind of sort of Snyderverse. And so Batfleck is kind of sort of around. And and that's kind of looming over it. Yeah, I guess sense? when they're I guess when they're all interconnected movies to, to to whatever degree, there's always going to be that question in the audience's head of like, you know, uh, where is so and so, or are they going to show up? Are we going to get a cameo or something like that? I guess yeah. it's di- um, like it's difficult to like <laughs> you know yeah. divorce yourself from that when you're when you're making a movie in that franchise. But yeah, yeah. and I, I, like and I, again, and I just cannot stress this enough. I do not want to see <laughs> Batman in this film. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> the macro of how you you solve this problem is for Hollywood to stop using intellectual properties for all of their major blockbusters. So you can't have any expectations going into it. You can't you can't ask where's Batman. You can't be mad it's all ladies or happy it's all ladies. It's just shut up. It's something new. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's yeah. something to be said about that too. Yeah. Uh, speaking of something to be said, our listeners had comments as well. Thank you, everyone who contributes uh, online. Uh, you can follow us at I Have Some Notes on all the places you do that, uh, and we will read your comments on air when we solicit them for the movies that we watch. So keep your eyes peeled for that. When will be the next one? We don't know because this one's being recorded out of time. <laughs> um, uh, Alan Gould says, need to watch it again, but Kim and I agree, you must keep the fridging of the burrito. I think you mean the <laughs> egg sandwich. <laughs> point of order. Uh, easy, easy mistake to make, though. Yeah. They eat burritos at the end of the movie. They do. Mm-hmm. Spe- speaking of eating, I did think it was a subtle, uh, th- there was a very subtle choice they made where uh, Zaz just sees the bottle of prune juice and goes, oh, I see what's happened here. And it's like, great, they don't have to, like... She doesn't have to let it slip. I just thought it was a nice, subtle way to do it. Like he sees the prune juice, he puts two and two together. Uh, I will also, I will also say that that uh, it shows an amazing amount of foresight by Harley to have duct taped her to a toilet just in case. <laughs> uh, Hugo Book Club says no notes. Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. <laughs> To be fair, uh, I said no notes as well when I tweeted. So. <laughs> and, you, and you got on the podcast, which I'm yeah. sure uh, Olav won't appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well. We'll have Olav on against you. We should do New Mutants and get our, our X-Pert back. Single X-Pert back. 
Cinematological says, uh, let the stunt people do the fights. Um, I, I hate to say it, Robin, I'm actually going to disagree, uh, because I, I was, I noticed a couple times that the, uh, actors were doing the fights. They looked pretty good. Um, and, uh, it really speaks, uh, Margot, I, I'm excited to watch more movies with Margot Robbie in them. Uh, I, Tanya is very good and much in the same way that she fights in this, she does some skating in that. And, uh, she's just one of those, uh, actors that's also just very physically capable, uh, and I'm excited to see more of uh, Margot Robbie action star. There were yeah, a lot of flips. I, I, I thought that maybe um, the last fight sequence um, maybe didn't feel as smooth as some of the earlier stuff. So maybe I'm not sure if that's where Robin's pulling that from. But I, I, I kind of blame that a little bit on the setting because there was a lot of like really foamy, bouncy things, and uh, and and uh, like it was it was goofy and fun, but I don't know if it like it, it it didn't necessarily jive with a lot of the really raw, hard hitting type action that was happening early on in the movie. I did really enjoy one fight moment that I really enjoyed was when uh, Harley and Renee Montoya were were duking it out, and there was like that weird boxing machine that they were next to. And, mm-hmm. like, Renee takes out one of them, and it rings, and Harley takes out one of them, and it rings, and then they both grab each other's head and bang them, like, take <laughs> out the rest of them together, and I just thought that was such a beautiful, like, setup, escalation, and payoff. Escalation. I I, I actually like most of the Funhouse fight, and I also kind of like the idea that Harley would have picked one of Joker's old hideouts as, like, neutral, as, as like, home turf for herself in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. uh, it... I don't know why. It just, it really worked. I, I liked the way it all kind of came together. And I think that it made for a, a visually interesting fight. Uh, and for the, uh, for the stunt people to, to really have an opportunity to, to do a lot of weird and interesting things with the funhouse environment. Yeah. And you get, you get uh, that moment too, where, where the Joker kind of screws her over one last time by having taken, having all, the taken all the weapons. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Martin comments, I love how the movie takes the idea of the unreliable narrator to the extreme. It does it does slow down the story a little, but considering the source, it's okay. The action is solid. I should have... Uh, it should have just been called Harley Quinn. I can't wait for more. Yeah, I, th- I, I definitely agree. It should have been Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey. Now, is the narrator necessarily unreliable in this? Like, I know she tells a story out of order. But there's, is there any point where she sort of explicitly lies to us? I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's less... Oh, no, there is. At the very beginning, uh, when she says, I handled the breakup real mature, but Mr. J got broken up about it, and you see her screaming and pounding on the door. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> a small... I mean, I don't know if that's taking it to the extreme. But, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's more inconsistent narrator. Um, like it, it, it changes unreliable for inconsistent, and and uh, but it gets maybe this a similar job done narratively. Yeah, Harley's just terrible at telling stories. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that little touch. Like it's it's really in character for her not to like tell the story well, and I th- like I thought that was a really fun hook for the movie. 
and a bold choice considering how sloppily edited Suicide Squad is. <laughs> yeah. That you like that they would dare have you question That's, if this scene is supposed to go where this scene goes. It's really um. just like dunking on uh Suicide Squad really, really hard. Right? This this movie all the the way this movie dunks on Suicide Squad is by executing everything that Suicide Squad did poorly excellently. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We'll have to wait and see how the uh, how the next Suicide Squad movie turns out. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, the trailer looked great, which made me angry because I was like, "Oh, I, I just don't want, <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> want to watch this." But, yeah, we'll probably be there. Uh, but I mean, on the other hand, we appear to have watched two decent to good DC movies in a row. Well, maybe not in a row, but like <laughs> you know, as far as DC yeah. movies go, they were in a row, right? That's pretty good. Zack Snyder's uh, cut and this. Uh, that's uh, that's the best time I've had watching DC stuff uh, since Inception. So good on. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe Black Dark Knight and stuff. I always forget about that. At least that's I, modern I would say version that of it. This, I think this was the best movie so far in the quote-unquote Snyderverse DC stuff. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had a lot. I had a lot of fun. Like, yeah, like just. You know, it was it was joyous in the way that like some of the more successful Marvel movie, Marvel movies were, like um, um, the last Thor movie, and you know the, the Spider Man movies were, and stuff like that. Like, yeah, stuff that takes. I don't know if the Spider Man movies took risks, but certainly Thor did, and you know I think that's fun. I'd like to see more superhero movies take lit- risks, even if they're in universe. I think there's still a way to do it. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that's been uh, Birds of Prey. Glenna, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And actually, if if I may, I just want to talk mm-hmm. real quick, since mm-hmm. it wasn't a note, and I just want to gush about this movie for a hot second, if I may. Please. Sure. Go for uh, it. There is something very special about watching this movie as a woman. Um, I think in my tweet, I said it spoke to me as a woman, which was me being <laughs> a little bit glib. Uh, but it's this feeling of of identification with the main characters that I don't feel when I watch movies about men. And I, it's hard to describe because it's this, like, very personal experience. Like, I, I really liked Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I really enjoyed it. But at no point was there a, a feeling of, of extreme solidarity with the characters like I had in Birds of Prey. Um... Just, just the the feeling of women working together and experiencing something from a female perspective that felt like it was a, from a female perspective and not just like a studio's idea of a female perspective. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, that I think comes through a lot. Yes, I agreed. And just like I think it's all, all culminates even in that scene at the end when they're all having tacos and burritos and they're just like. Oh my god, I love the way you punched that guy. I love the way you did that flip. And it was just like women complimenting each other in a circle is one of the most real things I can <laughs> think of. Uh, and it just, it did something very special for me. Uh, and I just wanted to express that. Right on. Uh, Glenna, again, thank you for being on the show. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, actually, we just dropped a brand new podcast uh, called Quantum Kickflip in which me and the other members of the debutantes, including Liam, uh, are playing a tabletop role-playing game called Slug Blaster, which is about teenagers that use hoverboards to sneak into other dimensions and have sci-fi shenanigan adventures. Uh, It's really fun, and it's available on all of your regular podcast platforms. 
yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, a ride to do, and I'm very very proud of what we've what we put together. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, you can uh, catch all of that uh, at Quantum Kickflip. Uh, we got uh, we got at for all at Quantum Kickflip for all of them. And you can follow us at I Have Some Notes, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, please give us a shout out, a rate, a review. It really does help us out. That's right. Uh, before I continue, I just want to say we have a script which uh, runs through what we need to talk about in our show closing. And uh, the note says, the hots bid adieu, because Greg put a typo <laughs> And I'm just tickled pink that he has accidentally called us the hots bidding adieu. <laughs> it's been in the show notes for like ages. Like, I don't I just like, noticed I've noticed it, it before and I've never changed it. <laughs> uh, and I just noticed it. Uh, but do you want more female-led content? Well, good news. There's tons of that right now on the Alberta Podcast network uh, such as Emily Missed Out and Repodcasting, two other movie podcasts that are from a female perspective. Uh, you can check them out right now along with all the other members of the Alberta Podcast Network at albertapodcastnetwork.com And uh, we are actually recording uh, a little ahead of time so uh, at the moment we don't know exactly what film will be coming next for you but uh, we will definitely bleep it in here, so tune in two weeks for a side notes on how well classic comedies have held up, and we'll see you then. And until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Wash your hands, wear a face mask, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching the skies. For Batman. <laughs> <laughs>